This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. year, over 9 million tons of furniture end up in landfills. This stems from the sheer volume of low-quality, low-cost furniture sold by the likes of the big box stores, and it stems from purchasing patterns that we all do every single year. These cheap furniture products serve a short-term function for budget-conscious consumers, but in the long run may actually cost us as consumers more money and come at the expense of our planet. In this episode, we hear from Stephen Cole, co-founder of Burrow, about why it's important to prioritize purchasing sustainable pieces from your home, why Burrow chose to do things differently, and why we should all forget fast furniture. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome to Good Together. Today's episode is about a topic that's near and dear to everyone's heart, especially since we're spending so much time at home on our furniture. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what the concept of fast furniture is and how sustainability in the furniture industry is a super important topic. So to set the stage, every year over 9 million tons of furniture end up in landfills, which is crazy. And that is because there's just so much low quality, low cost furniture sold by places that we all know, like Wayfair, Amazon, Ikea, etc. So while these cheap furniture products can serve a great short term function for folks that are on a budget, in the long run, these pieces of furniture are going to be costing consumers more money and come at the expense of our planet most times. So we invited Stephen from Burrow today to discuss with us why this is happening. So I wonder, Stephen, if you can give us just a really brief overview of yourself and sort of why you were inspired to start Burrow. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Burrow is a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. The idea for the company was to improve the end-to-end experience for consumers when they're buying furniture. So simplifying the shopping experience, making the delivery experience fast and easy, improving the actual functionality and comfort of products when they're in your home, and then finally making them easy to move again when you inevitably do move. 
And a big part of that also, if you make high quality furniture that is designed to move several times, it's inherently going to last a lot longer. And so partially combat this problem of fast furniture that we're going to talk about today, which is not the only reason why we started the company, but it actually is a, a very huge component to one of the biggest problems in the furniture industry. And at Burrow, we kind of think of ourselves as problem solvers more so than furniture people. We just happen to be tackling the problem of furniture and operating in the category of furniture. But there's just so many problems to solve in the industry since it's been lacking innovation over the last 50 plus years. And so that's why we exist. I obviously discovered Borrow for the first time as a consumer. I've connected with your team a couple of years ago, but and I've just kind of been so happy to see you guys growth and add more products in a very, very thoughtful way. So I would definitely love to talk more about your products and the customer experience. But let's talk about fast furniture. It's a pretty new concept. Of course, we're taking this concept from fast fashion, which I think consumers are generally more aware of. But can you kind of tell us what is fast furniture and why it exists? Fast furniture is furniture that gets produced really quickly and can ship to you really quickly. And it doesn't really last long. I actually think the reason that it exists is because of the internet. The internet has made buying furniture and obviously so many other products so much more convenient and easy for customers. But what it also allows you to do that you can't get away with, with you know, selling products in person is you can make something that looks really nice on the internet yeah. and you can offer it at a really low cost if it's really cheap to produce. And so you're kind of just figuring out what's the cheapest way to produce something that looks really nice doesn't necessarily stand up to the test of time or quality or durability, et cetera. And if you price it low enough, people's expectation of quality isn't super high. Thus is born fast furniture where people can use the cheapest, thinnest materials that won't last long and people see the price and they see how beautiful it looks online and they think, oh my God, that's great. Like this is hundreds or thousands of dollars less than comparable pieces, or at least on the surface, it's mm -hmm. so much less can't be that much worse. So they buy it and then it only lasts six months, a year, and then they throw it out. And that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. And the thing I want to jump in here and kind of double click on is the fact that you think the internet created this problem because I agree with you. <laughs> I think we as consumers have become very addicted to the Amazonification of shopping where we can add something to cart, we get it quickly, and we don't have to wait. I actually have been in the process of trying to find a new sectional for my house as well. I've gone through so much research and I feel like every time I think I want one of these pieces of furniture and we'll talk about sort of like what I'm prioritizing as we talk about what the components that go into furniture are. But anyway, once I get to the one I want to have, I realize it's going to take months and months to get to me because there's right now from a consumer perspective, there's the fast furniture, there's the stuff you can go out and get from the big box stores like Ikea. There is the traditional sort of handmade, handcrafted options that take months and months, which is what I'm stumbling onto. But then I think Bro is kind of sitting in the middle, which is super interesting. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about where fast furniture comes from specifically in terms of the location. So not just really the store itself, but where is most of this being manufactured and sort of why did you decide to do things differently with Bro from that perspective? It's actually manufactured all over the place. 
you can get fast furniture made in the United States. A lot of it is. You can get it made in China. I mean, I'd say most of it comes from China, but you can also get really nice, high quality pieces of furniture that are made in China. And where you think the U.S. is typically very high quality, a lot of fast furniture gets made in the U.S. as well. It has to do more with what the materials are going into it because with furniture, and I'll separate out seating from basically every other product. Like seating is the only major category that's made in the U.S. regularly because the cost structure has a very low labor component to it. And so the cost savings that you get by outsourcing labor to other parts of the world are not all that significant. And then you have to pay for freight shipping from wherever it's being made to the U.S. and then you have to warehouse it and so on and so forth. So in many ways, it's actually somewhat cheaper to make upholstered seating in the United States than it is. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. I always wondered why, you know, everything seemed to be made in North Carolina. And I know there was like a history there in terms of the craftspeople, if you will, (laughs) of North Carolina making fine furniture. But this is really interesting. Good to know. Yeah, you can get garbage made in North Carolina. You can also get made. (laughs) I've had a garbage piece of couch made in North Carolina as well. And I love that you bring this up because we as consumers talk about this, like the, the gray area that exists when wanting to make a conscious purchase. And yes, years ago... My husband and I put a pretty penny down on something that we thought was going to be super high quality and because it was made here in the U.S. and it actually wasn't. And unfortunately, everything broke. So we had to send it to the landfill, which was heartbreaking. No, but it's true. Like on the flip side, most of restoration hardware stuff is made in Vietnam. Hmm. It's just a function of the materials that go into it. And it doesn't really matter where they're making it as long as the materials and the attention to detail are high enough. That's kind of what you're paying for. As we always say on this podcast, you know, when something is made in China, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not ethical, right? And when something is made, for example, like clothes in LA in the US, it's not guaranteed that it's actually ethical because there's a lot of slave labor in LA, right, in our backyard. It's always important to ask these questions for brands, and that's why we have this kind of interviews where we learn a lot. So let's talk about why the consumer should and try to prioritize ethically made furniture. The short answer of why you should only buy ethically made furniture is because you don't have to pay a premium for it. So there's really no excuse not to. So put aside whether or not you really care about this. There is enough sustainably forested lumber to make the frames and whatever type of wood that goes into any any piece of furniture that you buy. The really big suppliers of this have to sustainably harvest it because if you think about it, it's like if you own... I'm making up these numbers, but like 100 million acres of forest and your business is to harvest the wood and sell it. You can't just keep wiping out forests and coming up with new places to find wood. You just naturally, if you're going to create a sustainable business model in the long run, you have to replant the trees. And so those foresting companies are massive. And so with their economies of scale, they can offer really high quality wood for a low price. And they just, for their own sustainability, have to be replanting the trees. And so because of that, it's not hard to do that. doesn't mean every piece of furniture that you buy will be sustainably forested, but you should. And also the other thing is that's great is that because consumers care, companies market it. Yep. And it's pretty easy to find this stuff on someone's website. And if you can't find it, a lot of the newer brands like ourselves, if you just reach out to the customer experience team 
they'll answer whatever question you have and send you all sorts of information about it and so on and so forth. And so it's pretty easy to figure out if what you're going to buy is ethically sourced. Are there certifications um, for specifically how the wood is harvested or like third party organizations that verify these claims? There are. There's dozens. We have a full list of them on our website. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also, it gets funny because we have these conversations with a lot of our customers. There's certifications that matter and there's certifications that kind of yeah. don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true, like testing for durability as well. You could go crazy testing for all sorts of things. And like people ask for like, oh, I want no VOCs in my foam, which is it's just completely incorrect. Like all foam has that, right? There's no, like foam is not a naturally occurring material in, in the world, but you can create foams that have such low emissions that they have no impact on you or have a very, very, very minimal impact on the environment. And so those are the types of things that like there's varying degrees of certifications that companies can have. And it, you just got to look at what they offer, but there's a lot. I mean, it comes from fabric to the foam, to the wood, to, to the labor component, all of these things. There are certifications for each of them. The other thing too is if you're buying, depending on who you're buying from, that makes a big difference as well. Like if you buy from the really big companies like William Sonoma, which includes West Allen Pottery Barn mm-hmm. or Crate and Barrel CB2, like these companies care about their impact on the environment. They care about producing ethically made furniture. You can ask them, but you can also kind of trust them that they're doing the right thing because that's part of what their brand is and they're big enough that they have to believe in it. Where you run into trouble and you're kind of rolling the dice is if you are buying on like a Wayfair or some sort of other you know marketplace that has really cheap fast furniture basically because you don't know where it's coming from. There's not a brand standing behind it. It's just like you're buying from like like those marketplaces are oftentimes sourcing from hundreds or thousands of factories around the world. And they're just trying to find the lowest cost provider of something. And they're not as responsible for doing the full check on and vetting on the materials and the process for making it. And so that's where you're kind of rolling the dice and you're not going to have as much transparency to figure out if they have all the proper certifications. Yeah. And one thing I want to mention in regards to this topic about the marketplace situation is I think a lot of times consumers don't understand when they're shopping on a marketplace. So of course, Wayfair, Amazon, places like that, it's very apparent, but there are also kind of small cottage brands that look like they are selling their own private label product and they will rename the product so it fits within their brand or something like that. But if you do like a reverse Google image search, you can see that it's sold from a variety of different places. And that's kind of how you know that it's coming from what Steven's talking about, which is a shadow brand or whatever, a manufacturer that is just wholesaling out directly. Fun fact, if you do this, you can also reverse image search for deals. <laughs> so if you're ever looking for something, that's always one of my thrifty hacks. But I think it's important for people to realize that because sometimes if you talk to an interior designer, they might say, oh, I got it on leaf and branch. That's not a real one, but I'm just making that up. And you might think, oh, well, leaf and branch makes lamps. Well, they probably don't. The other thing I wanted to throw in there about certifications is for me, one of the ones that keeps popping up is 
FSC. And we talked a little bit about hardwoods and making sure that the wood was responsibly harvested. So I feel like that's a good one people can look for. It just depends on materials. If you're particularly concerned about or using organic materials, et cetera, every brand is different. You can look them up on their website. Lisa and I have done multiple episodes on certifications by industry, which you could literally spend days, <laughs> days talking about those and digging into them. So I know burrow couches and various furniture products are designed to be shipped easily. I think there's like common misconception that, and it's probably because we're all used to banging our heads in the wall with Ikea stuff. (laughs) But I think sometimes there's a misconception about quality versus portability and items that are easily shipped. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about why you chose to break down sort of the signature bro seating into pieces and perhaps what that impact is on the carbon footprint when you go to ship it to someone. It's a really important point. This was our biggest pain point in starting the company. Even approaching manufacturers We had this idea of using high quality materials to make products that come apart and ship in boxes, but that we were going to not optimize for how many parts and pieces can you fit in a box and how compactly can you make it ship in a box. It was more, how do we just make sure that each box fits within the dimensional weight guidelines of UPS and FedEx. You can ship with UPS ground without getting charged for a large package surcharge, which is very expensive and then make the assembly process really easy and intuitive for customers with no tools, like optimizing for all those things and then charging an appropriate amount of money for that. Everybody that we talked to said, this is really stupid. It's like exactly what you said, because everyone's used to Ikea. And then there are a few manufacturers in the past that have kind of noodled around with knockdown furniture, as they call it. And it's always been super low quality. And I think over the last... 20 years or so, people have gotten accustomed to this idea that high quality goods in general, high quality products can come in boxes. They have to. If you want the convenience of shopping online and getting things delivered to you fast, you have to be able to buy it online and it has to be optimized for shipping. And furniture is just in its natural state, not optimized for shipping. And so that was a bet that we were willing to make that customers would pay the same or slightly less than West Elm or CB2 for the same quality product if it came in boxes and they'd be willing to put it together themselves if it was really easy and convenient and still felt really high quality. There's several benefits. One, the cost and carbon footprint of shipping a a sofa that's in the traditional model is massive. If you think about it, even if it's made in the US, if you buy a sofa, it's made by a manufacturer, not by a brand that's selling it to you. Then it ships in a larger container because you can't fit that many sofas in a truck when they're fully made. So it ships from the factory to a regional warehouse. Then it ships from the regional warehouse to a local retail store. And then the customer either picks it up themselves or you pay extra for white glove delivery where somebody else drives it to your home. With our model, you can ship the finished product directly from the factory to a customer's home via UPS. And it takes up significantly less space in the shipping process. And so it costs less money, gets there faster, and has a much better carbon footprint because you don't have so much logistics tied up into it. So that was a huge part of our business model. And there's no aspect of it that's like a sacrifice that the customer really has to make. It's a win for everybody involved. One of the things that we find happens all the time when we're talking to founders and and folks at businesses who have championed sustainability is that 
oftentimes the wins from a cost perspective and the wins from a eco-friendly perspective are really aligned, which I think is surprising to most people because as consumers, I think we've become accustomed to thinking that we have to pay substantially more for things that do right by the planet. So I think it's really interesting that while your strategy here was created for many different reasons, I also love that it helps you guys have a smaller bottom line from a process of cost. (laughs) And it looks good to investors because I think we want more and more of companies like Burrow, like some of the other folks that we've had on the podcast that are really setting a great example. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's one of those things that if any of the decisions that we've had to make over the last four years we've been working on, on the company have resulted in something that we thought would be worse for the planet, we just wouldn't do it. But luckily, yeah, there have not really been any of those decisions that we've had to make. It's always worked out to be a win win. I actually found a quick statistic from a couple of years ago, from 2019, that SOFA's carbon footprint is about 200 pounds of carbon dioxide, which is a lot. We've been talking a lot with our scouts and ambassador community about how can we reduce our carbon footprint. So it's great to know the number, and it's great to know that all of the different processes that you innovated on, they're actually helping us reduce our personal carbon footprints as consumers. So we've talked about reduction of shipping. We've talked about the materials. Can we briefly chat about how much longer borrow products can last if you compare it, for example, with sofas that are cheaply made? Yeah, ours should last five to 10 years, but we did that with a little bit of a caveat, which is the frame should last a lifetime. The frame will outlast the fabric and the foam by far. If your cushions wear down over time, like the foam in your cushions is the first thing to go, yeah. you can buy new cushions. And what we're doing on the back end is developing a program by which we can take back the foam oh, and, awesome. and the cushions for people. We haven't launched it yet. This is all still in the works. For all these programs, we have to have the infrastructure set up to support it. And because we're such a new company, we obviously don't have to launch this right away because everything should last for at least five years. And so we shouldn't start seeing folks needing to take advantage of a program like that for another couple of years. But that is the goal to be able to offer replacements for that. And then you can recycle the foam as well as the fabric too. There's all sorts of ways to do that as long as you give customers a really easy way to dispose of their stuff. And then the wood frame, that's reusable later on as well, if discarded in a proper way. But you just asked, how long does it last? That is the number one thing you can do to reduce your carbon footprint in furniture. Like you could source all you want, organic materials and and so on and so forth. But ultimately, if it ends up in a landfill, it ends up in a landfill. It doesn't really matter what it's made out of, per se. The best thing you can do is buy stuff that's meant to last and is really durable. And that way, if, if it takes 20 years before it gets discarded, you've made a much bigger dent than you could doing everything else combined. I love it when companies give us choices as consumers to recycle materials from old things or reuse. I also love it when couches and soft seating have flexible slip covers or ways to keep them clean because I think that's oftentimes an issue that people run into as well. I actually, on the topic of how long furniture should last, I just found something that said 
over half of Americans think that your furniture should last 20 years or more. And that includes couches. So <laughs> the byline was like, we've got news for you. Your sofa is going to be dead long before <laughs> that. And I, I think coming from someone who's a minimalist in some aspects, of course, no one's a perfect minimalist, but I try to not bring as many things into my home. And for me, hearing that a couch is supposed to last five to 10 years gives me a little bit of anxiety. But now that you kind of explained it, where it's really has nothing to do with the frame, it really has more to do with the cushions. I love that. And I love that there's the potential for me, if I got a burrow couch, or if I got something from a similar type company, I could give it life again, get it recovered, put new cushions on it, etc. Because I think that's awesome. Steven, one thing that we really wanted to kind of dive into with you a little bit is how can people who listen to this podcast or understand the impact of fast furniture, how can they budget and start to build this type of purchasing pattern into their behaviors? Because I think while your product is relatively affordable, as long as couches are concerned, it's not, of course, as cheap as an Ikea or a fast furniture piece. So how can we as consumers start to kind of build this purchasing pattern into our behaviors? It's twofold. And the first part is exactly what you just said. It's a behavior. And this is something that everybody should kind of force themselves to do, not just with furniture, but across the board. Don't just buy a bunch of crap because you can afford it. Like right now, be a little bit more thoughtful and purposeful with the products that you want to buy and buy fewer of things that you really like and spend more money on those things. And then the other thing too, is just like most people have bought fast furniture in the past, right? Everyone's shopped at Ikea. You know, it doesn't last to move. It lasts as long as when you're going to live in a space, which is fine if that's all you can afford, but you know, you're gonna have to buy it again in the future. And so just kind of think longer term in budgeting for things and buy. The other side is like, what can you do? Okay, I still can't afford it right now, but I do want to buy something that's going to last longer. And I think the answer to that is you have two options. One, you can finance it. We offer financing. I think most furniture brands offer financing now. You can finance things for like 12 plus months, which makes it a lot more digestible. You can also buy used. You can buy used furniture. I mean, my first nice sofa that I ever bought was a crate and barrel sofa that I bought on Craigslist. I was going to mention that too. Yeah, buying used is extremely powerful. Yeah, we're such a Craigslist family. Oh, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know, it's like Craigslist is like the third wheel in my marriage. But <laughs> not sponsored, <laughs> not sponsored, right? <laughs> no, not at all. But I, I love this advice because I think it makes so much sense. <laughs> and there are a lot of companies like App Deco is one of them where they sell used furniture. And like you understand all of the pros and cons of it and like all the kind of like scuffs and marks that it has over time, like the crate and barrel sofa that I bought had a red wine stain on the inside of the armrest. <laughs> of it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like it's, <laughs> that's why it's cheaper, you know? I mean, I couldn't afford a full price one that was brand new at the time. And actually, I don't even know if they did financing back then. I didn't even look, but we do see a good portion of our customers, over 10% will finance it, which is great. It just makes it a lot more digestible. And remind me, financing, it's uh, without any interest, right? What are the restrictions? Correct. There's no interest. You should really never not take advantage of it, to be honest. You can also rent furniture as well. Yep. To me, the jury's still out on that market for like high-end furniture to rent it because I think there's an element to like owning the pieces that you buy and having them be meaningful to you. 
Like yeah. renting makes sense if I'm going to spend one year in a place and I have no, and then I'm going to move to a brand new place in another part of the country and I have no idea like what's going to fit into my next space and whatnot. It's a valid solution. But if you want to pick out the pieces that you really like, you want them to last for a long time and really invest in your own kind of taste and style and your, in your home, you want the pieces to come with you. And so you can finance it for, if it's a 12-month financing period, you would have already paid for the same amount of money renting the product, but now you own it for life as opposed to give it back up again at the end. Exactly. And we always like to say it brightly, sh- shopping mindfully, right? But also surrounding yourselves with pieces that exactly how you said, like have meaning for you. So that's why I also struggle with the idea of renting furniture. But I think it's a great solution if you have a short term living somewhere for like one year or so. You are budget conscious, though. Mm -hmm. It's not a great solution, like I said, because you will have paid for it completely within the Mm -hmm. first year. Yeah, that's good to know, actually. That's an interesting point. Well, you already shared so many great tips with us. Do you have any other actionable tips, maybe one or two, on living ethically in general? It doesn't have to be just about furniture. I just think the easiest thing you can do is, if you care about living ethically and sustainably, is to pick brands that you want to be loyal to because of their core values and beliefs. The best ones will talk about it. I mean, you can see the ones who are just paying lip service to it and marketing it, but not actually standing up for it. And you can tell the ones that are actually doing something about it. And so I think if you're just really thoughtful about picking brands that you like, that I, that have values that align with your own, that's probably the easiest thing you can do. And, and the nicest thing about that, as I said earlier, was that brands like talking about it because it's a big part of the decision factor for consumers. So they make it really easy. It's really easy to find companies that are doing things the right way. And oftentimes it's really the biggest companies in the industry. I know there's this like sentiment of like big, bad, evil corporate, right? But sometimes the biggest ones have the most resources to do the right thing and have the biggest impact. Yeah, I was really surprised to see recently that some of the brands that you mentioned earlier, specifically some of them owned by Williams-Sonoma, have done a lot to try and have more fair trade products in their assortment. Of course, they're using some of those certifications like we talked about earlier. So, you know, just because somebody doesn't come to mind uh, when you first go on to your ethical and sustainable shopping journey doesn't mean that you should count them out. So I think that's a great tip. So to kind of end, we usually like to ask our guests this last question because it kind of gives us all a nice little hopeful uh, note to end on, which is what excites you the most right now about the ethical and sustainable movement? I'm most excited that with every company consumer that joins it and says, this is something that I care about, we all just create more momentum for one another. You're kind of continuing to hold each other accountable for these standards. It's no longer like I have to choose as a company, whether or not I want to be ethical and sustainable, the more people that join the movement, the more it just becomes table stakes and you have to do it. And so I'm most excited about all the momentum that's been created. And with every new brand and consumer, like I said, that joins the movement, that easier and easier that becomes and it puts more pressure on everybody else who's not doing it. Exactly. Sustainability, hopefully, will one day become the norm for any business, big and small. Awesome. Well, I think it's a perfect note for us to end the interview. It was great having you with us, Stephen. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.